You're listening to Tech Tank, a bi-weekly podcast from the Brookings Institution, exploring the most consequential technology issues of our time. From racial bias and algorithms to the future of work, Tech Tank takes big ideas and makes them accessible. Thanks for joining our Brookings podcast. I'm Darrell West, Senior Fellow in the Center for Technology Innovation at the Brookings Institution. Systemic inequities continue to plague the United States in housing, education, and broadband, among many other areas. There have been many efforts over the past several decades to address these issues, but we still see persistent inequities, and it has been difficult to narrow the gaps that exist along racial lines. Brookings is in the early stages of preparing the launch of a new center for community uplift. It will advance innovation in public policies that end discrimination, racism, and exclusion, while working to lift up and improve the well-being of all communities. To help us understand this new undertaking, we're delighted to have two distinguished experts. Dr. Camille Bousset is the Interim Vice President of Governance Studies at Brookings and Director of our Race, Prosperity, and Inclusion Initiative. She writes on barriers to economic prosperity and the role of social capital in promoting opportunity. Dr. Andre Perry is a Senior Fellow in the Metro Program at Brookings and Director of its Valuing Black Assets Initiative. He writes about racial disparities in housing and wealth accumulation and how we can do a better job in those areas. Camille and Andre, welcome to our Brookings podcast. Hey, thanks for having us. Great to be here. Thank you. So Camille, I want to start with you. So your goal is to create a center that will be a preeminent source for research and thought leadership on equity, innovation, and social justice. Why are you interested in this center and what are you hoping to accomplish? Well, first of all, uh, Daryl, it's just a pleasure to be here um, and to be able to address our audiences. But I would say, you know, for us and for policymaking and policy interested audiences, the central challenge that we hope to address is how can the United States, despite a history of racism and uh, other forms of discrimination and exclusion, live up to its creed? So how do we make U.S. society one where we just assume that everyone has value and has something to contribute and is therefore entitled to all the opportunities and support that will enable them to thrive. That is the central question that we are trying to address. So if we're able to change assumptions about the value that people who are currently marginalized bring to our society and our economy uh, and develop public policies that allow everyone to thrive, then we will have accomplished the goal of the center. So, Andre, I want to bring you into the conversation. What are your goals uh, for this new center? Well, Daryl, I have essentially two sets of goals. One is internal and then the other is external. Internally, I want to build upon the research and engagement talent that we currently have across the the five research programs at at Brookings. We have a number of scholars who, who... are doing spine-tingling research, and, and, and it's my goal to bring us together so w- that we can benefit from all of our work. We can learn together and grow together. And then to use that work externally 
to generate innovative policy research and strategic uh, partnerships that lead to the equitable distribution of public goods. Um, It's again, that's part of our mission, Um, but we haven't been as pointed around race, racism, structural racism, these issues as we can be. So this center will really galvanize the talent that we have to work towards those ends. And it will differentiate ourselves in a, in a sense that we can create a body of work, a school of thought, so to speak, because we just have a great bench of researchers. So um, that bench can really um, develop new paradigms, as, as Camille mentioned, to take an asset-based approach in looking at, at these issues. So um, it's really to build upon our strengths um, internally and apply them externally. So it's very interesting in terms of how you're thinking about community, both in an internal and external sense, uh, internally at Brookings. I mean, we have probably 15 or more uh, scholars at Brookings who are working on these issues. And so I think this center will help bring those people together. But then you're also thinking externally in terms of how to uplift communities across the country. I think that's a great uh, way to think about this. So Camille, what do you think is distinctive about this center? And what is the Brookings competitive advantage in this area? So uh, I just want to build on what Andre had mentioned and you mentioned as well. We have such an extraordinarily deep and broad bench of scholars across multiple disciplines uh, here at at Brookings who can contribute ideas to how to promote well-being across communities. And that's important because the kinds of problems that uh, and challenges that we want to address and for which we want to find solutions are multidisciplinary. Um, And so it's important to have that kind of depth and breadth. And so we definitely have that. So that's the first reason why Brookings, I think, is not only particularly well-placed here, but has a competitive advantage uh, to launch the center. The second is that, as we all know, Brookings is the premier think tank in the world with over 107 years of impactful, highly regarded public policy research. And what that means is that the kinds of audiences that we reach our audiences are in are in a position to actually do something with this research and actually implement the policy solutions that uh, come out of the work that we do here. Uh, and then finally, third, we are just really deeply data driven. That is, uh, you know, our um, premier and signu- uh, premier uh, signature here at Brookings. And we really have the gravitas to define what it means to center communities and their experiences as part of a new paradigm of data governance. So I think those are the reasons why Brookings is really the ideal place for a center like this. And I like that notion of being data driven, because certainly during my time at Brookings, like in D.C., there are lots of people who have opinions. But I think what we have found in general in a number of different areas at Brookings is work that is really persuasive is not just opinion. Like there needs to be solid research there. Having really good data makes a big difference. Like if you have data behind your arguments, that is much more powerful than making uh, the arguments uh, themselves. Uh, Andre, uh, what do you see as the Brookings competitive advantage with the center? Well, I'm going to challenge the the idea of being data driven just a little bit, just just to ding it a little bit. I I think what this center does is is say, hey, um, we're community driven and we use data to uplift communities at the end of the day, that, that, um, that we have a soul of sorts to say that we're looking at well-being and well-being is, is in, a, in, in a technical sense defined. We're looking at how people 
feel about the conditions they live in. So it's not just looking at and compiling a bunch of data and making decisions based on that. It's really responding to the communities that we serve and, and allowing um, some um, feedback loops, so to speak, so that we can make adjustments. And but on the data part, I don't. I, there's just not a, a better institution in this in this area. We're going to be, you know, we we use this term all the time. Very rigorous in our approaches, and we're going to have compelling um, um, research, a uh, policy research around that. We we already have significant policy impacts. Um, in my work in housing. You can, you can hear echoes of it all throughout the Biden administration and, and much of the work that HUD is doing. They created an entire task force around um, my, my research. And, and we're going to continue that. Um, it, 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 that's what's going to differentiate us is to just build upon um, our current um, strength at, at Brookings. So, um, but, but I, I just want to emphasize that I, I, the community is in the center of the name <laughs> center for community lift and 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 we'll be driven by that that sort of ethos that we want to improve the well-being of communities um across the country yeah that makes perfect sense i'm sure camille would view that as a very friendly ad, uh, amendment to her earlier statement absolutely so uh camille uh, who do you see as the audience or audiences for this undertaking so I, I want to uh, build a little bit upon Andre's answer about the importance of communities and, and the, cent the central role they play for us at the center. So the most important uh, tenet of the work that we are going to be doing in the center is that uh, we want communities to be part of leading innovation uh, and in, pol in public policy uh, to, to be able to achieve well-being. And uh, so for us, the key audience is really, are really communities across the U.S. Um, of course, uh, you know, in order to accomplish this work, you have to work with others in a range of other sectors, um, either as collaborators or in some kind of formal partnerships. So we do see uh, business and other research institutions, and of course, public policy makers and policy interested folks as being really important audiences. We think it's also important for community leaders to be part of the work and generating the kinds of questions and uh, helping us figure out how best to define a paradigm around community data governance um, for the work that we do. So, uh, you know, for us on the ground, municipal and local policymakers. Um, national policymakers, community members themselves as leaders, um, as part of the work that we do here, community leaders, other researchers, the philanthropy, the philanthropy community, obviously media, all of those are, uh, are our audiences. So very, very broad because the kinds of issues that we're treating are broad and have large systemic impact on American society. Andre, who do you think will be interested in this center and its work? I, I and, and I'll be repeating a lot what Camille said. Um, I think um, local communities, mayors, city council folks, housing uh, organizations, uh, 
but also the people who we already have a great reach to, uh, uh, national legislators, um, and, and the, the administration, who, who, whomever is in office. Um, it, it's really to, to um, look at national problems, but see how they manifest themselves locally. And to in, in, in order to create change, certainly we want to work federal level level uh, levers, state levers, but I don't think you can really pull them without community input. Um, so many policies throughout the United States, some that are were exclusive in nature. I always point out that redlining, for instance, was a local policy generally born in what people consider was born in Baltimore. Um, that redlining policy was eventually codified and resourced um, by the federal government. Um, and it became not only a, a, a policy, um, a, a New Deal policy um, that um, continued um, through the 70s, it became a template of sorts. A way, a way we look at the world, um, and and so for me, I want to see local policies um, find their way up to the federal government that are inclusive in nature. Um, and so for me, it that that requires talking to local audiences, uh, so talking to state houses, talking to the people who may not agree with our approaches, um, but ultimately we want to, to get good ideas at the local level and, and, and codify them at the, at the federal level. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think when you look at the history of policy reform in the United States, that is often how change takes place. Like there are a few communities or maybe a few states that adopt some innovation it seems to work. It catches on. Other states adopt it. And then eventually we end up with national rules and regulations that encourage that. So, you know, when you're confronting big problems, it often is quite daunting. But sometimes finding a few places and demonstrating success becomes a great model uh, for policy change. So, Camille, I know both you and Andre are very well connected, but what type of impact do you want to have with this center? So, uh, you know, for, for me, I think the most important, important element of the work um, that we're going to be doing here is that we articulate a community-based definition and set of metrics about what it means to be an equitable society. And for us here at the center, achieving equity means that everyone, regardless of their circumstances, can experience well-being. So we're essentially coming up with a definition and metrics of well-being that are community-defined. Uh, when policymakers and, and others who have been working to promote equity start to promote that, start to understand um, equity as promoting well-being, I think we will have been successful in focusing minds on the ultimate outcome of this work. And the reason that that's important is that when you reframe um, the kinds of questions that we are dealing with, which are really not very different from uh, many of the questions that have been dealt with over the last 60 to 70 years and even earlier, when you reframe that in terms of understanding the uh, ultimate outcome as being well-being, it does open up the aperture of policy space. It also 
opens up the voices who are able to influence that space. And for us, uh, making sure that we uh, create that definition of well-being, that it is based on community, a community sense of what it means to experience well-being, and then having that adopted across a range of policymaking domains would, in fact, be very, very impactful in terms of opening up the policy space and policy discourse and the types of people who will have impact on policy. Andre, how do you see this notion of impact? Yeah, I agree. I think we need to use measures that really incorporate how people perceive themselves in the world. And that's well-being. That's why we're taking that approach. And and I'll just also just be very plain spoken about this. I want people to feel good enough that they can participate in their own growth. So many people around the country um, are struggling and they don't have a way to change their conditions. So for me, well-being is not just, hey, I, I have the economic security, I have housing, I have all these things, but can you participate in the change you want to see? Can you participate in the civic um, actions and civic structures? Um, and, and can that engagement lead to a better quality of life? So um, yeah, it's well-being as, as we will measure, we always measure things, um, but um, plainly put, we want people to feel good enough about themselves that they are willing to participate in their improvement. So Camille, you are taking on big issues, racial equity, racial justice, and Andre just mentioned the notion of well-being. What challenges do you see with this type of activity and how can you overcome those challenges? So, you know, we're going to be operating in the policy space. So the policy space is never uh, without its, its challenges, both in terms of just practical matters, but also because policy development takes a very long time because there are lots of politics involved with policy. So that's, you know, that will be part and parcel of the context within which our work uh, takes place. But the, uh, I think probably two of the most um, uh, important challenges for us will be ensuring that with the work that we do, we do is informed by communities and is really driven by their interests and their agendas. So I, I think we have to be very disciplined to make sure that happens because, you know, I think in our line of work, um, research can be um, very extractive of the, the kinds of assets that communities have without actually having them lead the work and having them benefit from, from the, the research work and the policies that we uh, are trying to uh, develop. So I think that's one. And then the second thing is that in this line of work in particular, um, there has been a long tradition of focusing on deficits and, you know, how it is that various communities do not measure up to some norm. And typically that norm is a norm that has been articulated by middle-class whites. And uh, so we want to make sure that the kind of work that we're doing is really focused on the assets that marginalized communities actually bring to the table, that we are building upon those assets, um, and that we are taking uh, actually direction from communities on how to build upon those assets. And that is that kind of approach, um, I think, will, uh, will not be embraced universally because 
it really does, I think, in some ways challenge the convention and the, the current hegemony of um, uh, using a more of a deficit lens. And so that's something that we'll definitely, I'm sure, encounter. I know um, Andre will probably have lots more to say on this. So I'm going to well, hand things over to him. If I can just uh, jump in. Uh, so it, you're not seeing this just as a top-down uh, venture, but a bottom-up and, in fact, kind of marrying those two perspectives. Absolutely. It seems like that will be a great strength of this center. Andre, your view of challenges and uh, how to overcome them. Well, I don't know what Camille's saying. I, when I work in the policy realm, everyone listens to me, and they just follow the... With, That's because with, you're Andre. No, no, no. You know, we are living in a society that is, in some cases, challenging the very notion of truth. In addition, we are facing some headwinds in that the, the there is a, um, we're just in a fractured society where ideas of inclusion are seen as, are, are labeled as woke and we don't want to hear it. And, 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 and there's clearly an, um, some effort to squelch what we call DEI, diversity and inclusion types of uh, initiatives. And so um, certainly that's a part of the, the, the headwind I think we will we'll see in the po- political realm. Um, but I agree with Camille. We just need to understand and really internalize this idea, idea that there's strength in community that we can build upon. That so often we only look at deficits, what's wrong with people. And, and when you only look at what's wrong with people, you're constantly trying to fix them. And so it, it's, we're moving away from those approaches. Um, and, and if we can do that, I think there'll be greater appetite for ideas that encourage racial cooperation, that allows us to see our shared fates, so to speak. But when you're only looking at deficits, you're setting up a contentious, it's us versus them type of of, uh, 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 set of conditions. And we're going to try to move away from that. But I swear, all these politicians are just going to listen to me, and then we're all going to be fine. Well, I really like your optimism on that front, and I sincerely hope that you're right. But it's interesting you mentioned this notion of all these efforts around the country to squelch diversity. Like there are states that have actually passed laws saying uh, public universities in their states cannot run diversity programs. They can have diversity officers. Uh, you know, this is a contentious issue in a number of public schools as well. Uh, I think at Brookings, we are actually embracing the notion of diversity and arguing that we will be stronger together if we end up uh, working uh, together. So I do think that is an important uh, point. The two of you, uh, a, a couple months ago, did an event with singer John Legend. And I have to say, in my 15 years of being at Brookings, this is one of the most outstanding events that I have ever seen. It was just an amazing event at every level. It had obvious star power with John Legend, but then it also had amazing substance, new research, some policy recommendations. So, uh, Andre, why don't we start with you first? Tell us a little bit about that partnership with John Legend and how that can help propel this center. Yeah, I I love being able to say that I got the opportunity to open up for John Legend 
uh, a few weeks back. But it, it came about in an effort um, through John Levin's, John uh, Legend's uh, organization called Human Level. And, and, and it's really um, his phil- philanthropic organization, his social justice apparatus. And, and they approached us looking for ways to um, examine the conditions in cities. And um, instead of just uh, spoon feeding some data points around socioeconomic data, we really tried to come up with a comprehensive way that we can work together. And that led to a series of discussions. Uh, Camille was brought in um, in the discussion, and it led to this partnership um, that we unveiled um, late April, April 29th. And, and it was a great event where we got to talk about well-being. Um, we also um, have a partnership with the um, organization Gallup, the polling organization Gallup, and they have one of the most robust databases on well-being. We combine that with other databases to give a comprehensive look at the state of well-being across race, age, and place. And we showed um, where people have high well-being across the country, um, across those criteria. And then I'll just um, briefly note, one of the the concerning findings in in during that presentation, during that, um, and and it's it's explicated in a a report, but we found that um, the young, the, the well-being of young people ages 18 to 25 um, has been in decline for a while, but it, it, it really took a, a dip during the pandemic, more so than the their um, older peers. And so, but we went through uh, the, the places where um, people are doing well, and, um, and, and John Legend brought his particular lens, as the name human level suggests. He's really trying to get at what what brings us together as, as a community? And so it was just a wonderful event um, where we discussed well-being. We heard from um, the, uh, these few, what, we, we, the, what is called FUSE, and they have fellows that are um, located in, in cities throughout the country, FUSE fellows, um, and other um, um, doers in the, 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 around the country that are are really improving well-being through actual work. So they were on the stage, but it was just a wonderful example of how we can bring data to people. John Legend has literally one of the the largest microphones in the world. And so it just makes sense for an organization that is producing quality research to have a sort of a communications apparatus like John Legend to help us get it out. But most importantly, we'll be working with doers on the ground who are actually changing the metrics that we we, we uplift. So um, it was just a great event in April. Yeah, you know, it's very easy to feel pessimistic about the state of race relations in America because they're just 
lots of problematic uh, things out there. But I have to say, when I walked out of your event with John Legend, I actually felt very uplifted and I felt optimistic uh, because you could start to see the basis of good ideas that could address these uh, topics. Obviously, they're big challenges. Uh, there's not going to be easy solutions, but there are solutions out there. People cannot give up hope, and the two of you are doing great work. Camille, I'd love to get your reflections on the John Legend event, but I also want to brag a little bit about the two of you in the sense that when this center is actually launched, it is going to be very well funded. The two of you, along with our colleagues, Rashawn Ray, Gabe Sanchez, and a number of other people, have been tremendous fundraisers. Uh, you've already raised millions of dollars for uh, research in this area. There's support from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the Annie Casey Foundation, and a number of others. So there, the basis is there for this to be a very successful uh, enterprise. But Camille, I'd love to get your thoughts on uh, John Legend and, and, and kind of maybe more generally just the notion of external partnerships and how they can help you magnify the impact that you were going to have. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the event with John Legend was absolutely fantastic. And um, one of the things I think that stuck with me the most was the degree to which everyone who was there was so engaged and so moved by the entire event. I mean, and certainly having John Legend there was, was incredibly helpful to help amplify it. But I think the way in which we showcased uh, the focus on well-being, the FUSE fellows who were uh, people who are, are actually in cities doing work to promote well-being in a variety of different uh, public sector, public sector sectors. Um, all of that came together, I think, in, in a, a way that, as you said, Daryl, I think made people feel hopeful that despite everything that's happening in the country, that there could be a way forward and a really interesting uh, an uplifting way forward. So I thought that was fantastic. One of the things that I have really enjoyed about working with uh, Human Level, John Legend's philanthropic arm, is the degree to which his folks are, um, and he and his folks are really, really focused on outcomes uh, at the you know community level. So one of the things that I think is so key to this partnership is that we share the same values and um, and they are they are very bullish about making sure that well-being is alive and well and something that can be promoted at the municipal level. And they're they're doing that with their fuse fellows. So I, I just think that's a fantastic partnership. And I think in some ways is a great uh, model for the kinds of partnerships that we would want to have going forward for the center, which is that we do want people who share our values, our values around the importance of communities, that we are um, making sure that we're using an asset-based lens, that uh, we want to be focused on data, but we also want the data conversation to be about communities and to have communities, uh, in fact, leading on what are the questions we should be um, asking and how should we be thinking about gathering, sharing, archiving, and promoting uh, data that is derived from communities. So I think um, this particular partnership was a, a kind of a match made in heaven. Uh, we have a, several other events that are plan for later in the year. Um, and I think that is a nice model for the kinds of partnerships that will be so essential for the work that we're doing going forward. And there I, are, think those are all, I think those are all uh, great points. And I, in general, I think this idea of partnership is a great way to push 
change in the United States just because Brookings can provide high quality research, we can develop ideas, but if we can work with other organizations that amplify our efforts, you really can get a big multiplier effect out of that. Andre, you wanted to jump in. Yeah, I just wanted to 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 also just make a point here that I'll, yes, we we're going to have a new center, but this is a, about the evolution of our work overall. And this is not and I said this at a, a luncheon we want, uh, recently had and I do the mean this. This is not about uh, the Andre and Camille show. This is about the change that Brookings needs to demonstrate. That you're over the the, the last uh, few days um, when, as we're recording this podcast, um, there there were have been a number of Supreme Court announcements and a lot of social media activity. Uh, around the the issue of diversity, and many uh, uh, institutions across the country are um, uh, sharing statements of support of diversity. Now, my own, and I'm, I'm supportive of all that, but w- what support really looks like is you have to have evidence of of how you are demonstrating diversity in your institution. You know what is the evidence of your support. And so for me, this center is about reifying the, the, what we say in a press release by, by baking it into the structure of, of Brookings. And, 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 I, and I'm not saying it's just Brookings, but I, I look at think tanks, I look at universities, we're going to have to prove that we're about this life. It can't just be putting up reports and statements. It's always a statement. Uh, whenever something happens, you know, it, that these diversity statements are becoming like the thoughts and prayers after a, tra- a tragedy. Like, so for me, uh, let's concretize, no pun intended, a, a center um, to show where our values lie. So I, I just wanted to make that point because, um we're seeing a number of people make statements. And I think that what we're doing is about the evolution of the work that is ongoing in Brookings. Now, I agree with you. Talk is cheap. And I've actually, I'm fed up with talk myself. Like I want action. Uh, And uh, I think this center is going to be very action oriented, which I uh, applaud uh, each of you for that. So, Camille, I noticed that this center proposes to advance innovation in public policy. So why the emphasis on public policy as opposed to, say, the role the private sector could play, the business community or even nonprofits in addressing equity issues? Sure. Um, So I actually have a a couple of different answers there. So I'm going to first start off with the fact that the scale of the of the challenges that we face, the the degree of exclusion in the in the uh, in in the U.S. um, combined with its impact not only on society, but but certainly our economy is fairly profound. Um, And given the scale of that challenge, we need to have solutions that are commensurate with the scale of the challenge. When you talk about philanthropy or um, private sector organizations, all of whom are doing their part programmatically to uh, try to address questions of well-being, um, those are all going to be rather uh, 
um, small relative to the scale of the problem. So when you want to have solutions that are large and, you know, reach um, tens of millions of people, like we will need that to happen here in the U.S., uh, then you have to be thinking about public sector and public policy solutions. And so that's why the emphasis on public policy, because we want the solutions to be broad, we want them to be uh, sustained, we want them to be consistent, and we want them to uh, be commensurate with the scale of the problem. The, the second thing is I do want to uh, kind of double click a little bit on innovation. So um, a lot of people say they're innovating. And um, I think it's really important to highlight here that we recognize that there have been decades of work to try to get us to a point where everyone is experiencing well-being. We are following in that tradition, but we are also going to be defining new paradigms because we do need to be innovative in order to transcend the challenges of structural racism and to be able to promote well-being for everybody. So we haven't gotten to that, as we all know. We haven't gotten to that point, so it's going to require innovation. And we're very committed to that. So I, I just wanted to make sure that, you know, we're doing the innovation on in public policy. The public policy aspect is incredibly important for us for the reasons I just mentioned, but the innovation part is also important. So Andre, your thoughts on the public policy piece. I know I've heard you in uh, past events say that we can't nonprofit our way out of this problem because the problem is just so uh, big that actually government uh, action is going to be needed. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you, you know, you're, you're stealing my thunder, Daryl. That's that's my, one of my taglines. No, no I, I often say that we're not going to nonprofit our way out of this problem. We, it, you know, while I certainly appreciate the wonderful contributions of philanthropy, which which whose generosity helps fund our research, I, I, I need to be clear about that. However, oftentimes we we think charity is actually going to lead to to change. These are, as Camille suggested, these are um, deeply deep-seated problems that um, that are anchored by uh, policy. And so for me, it requires policy change. So uh, we're going to have to see a dismantling of policies that, um, that facilitate uh, racial differences, uh, racial outcomes. And we're going to, but it's not enough just to, to take things away. You have to replace those structures with policies that encourage inclusion and, and growth. So um, for me, it's, it, it is about not seeing this effort as one of, let's just um, get some well-meaning uh, wealthy people um, to, um, to contribute to a, a problem. Um, so this is about changing how wealth is distributed in some cases. It, it's about changing how, we, how individuals get certain benefits. It's about changing the very nature of, of education, how education is funded. Um, we, we keep moving the furniture around and not changing the foundation of the house. Um, and so for me, we, we got to go m much bigger than um, giving, you know, charity or, or, or sympathy dollars to an issue. So my last question for you is uh, Brookings has just announced a new president, Cecilia Rouse. Uh, we've made history in the sense that she will be our first African-American female 
president. So kudos to our board of trustees and our presidential search committee in uh, making that choice. What would you like our new president to know about this proposed center? Well, I I would like the um, president to um, recognize the assets that we have in Brookings. There are great thinkers and, you know, it's been a delight working with Camille. Uh, and, I, and I'll say this, you know, uh, give a little moment of, of, of transparency here. Camille really helped pull this thing together for me. Um, we've been um, talking about having a center for a while. Um, Camille le- uh, leads the um, Race, Prosperity, and Inclusion Initiative. I lead the Valuing Black Assets in the Initiative. And, and, and we are supported, no question, but... Um, to, to get something, again, the, concretized at the center, it, it, you know, I don't think it would have happened without Camille. And, you know, so for me, I want this new president to see the talent that's here. Um, and I don't take for granted that all scholars receive the same amount of attention and they're valued the same. History does not suggest that. So for me, I want the president to see the greatness that is throughout Brookings, particularly among folks who may not get the attention they deserve. So, um, and and that's, and you know, um, C.C. Rouse is an accomplished scholar, accomplished administrator, I, I can't think of a, a person that's better situated for this role, but I will charge C.C. Rouse with the, it, it, every president in, in that role it, or anyone who would be in that role is to recognize the talent that is in the institution and, and raise money and do all those things, but you got to recognize the people. So um, I think there's just so many to knots in Carmona, um, um, you, you, um, you, you mentioned, uh, Rashawn Ray and, and there's others throughout the, the institution that are doing great work. We need to elevate this work. We need to elevate the policy ideas, the people who are connected to community. We need to elevate them. Camille, what would you like the new president to know about the center? Yeah, I would, I would just like to say we are thrilled with the selection of CC Rouse. I think we, we could not have had, um, a better selection and just uh, kudos to our board and our search committee for um, getting us to this place. Um, I think she'll be a fantastic asset for Brookings. And um, I agree with Andre that recognizing the existing and considerable assets that we have um, would be an important important starting point. And I'm just going to throw it back at Andre and say that um, Andre has put us on the map in so many important ways with his pioneering work in housing, um, which I think would we would be Brookings would be so much less than it is without um, his intellect and um, the way in which he is just shifting conversations and shifting uh, you know the important public policy work for um, the, in the area of equity and dismantling structural racism. So. Andre is one of those assets that we want to make sure is recognized by um, an incoming President Rouse. I also want to say that I think the important, one of the important but understated um, advantages of having the center 
is that we will be able to work across the institution. And we would love to have the uh, support of everyone, including the president, to be able to draw people from all five programs um, in this really important endeavor. And what that means is in some ways embedding a kind of refreshed notion of what it means to be part of the Brookings community. And I'm certain that um, Dr. Rouse with her considerable experience uh, you know, in the White House and also uh, at, uh, at Princeton and other places will be able to instill that kind of new spirit. And I'm really looking forward to it. Well, both of you are superstars. I want to commend each of you for the leadership that you've demonstrated, uh, not just on thinking about this center, but uh, the years that you've been working uh, on these areas. Uh, you both are doing a tremendous work. I'm very excited about the future prospects in this area. Uh, I want to thank Dr. Camille Bousset and Dr. Andre Perry for sharing their thoughts with us today at Brookings. We write regularly about these issues. And you can find more information at brookings.edu. So thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you, Daryl. Thank you, Andre. But thank you, Daryl, especially for all the work you did, the groundwork you did to get us to this point for the center. And very, very grateful for that. Absolutely. Shout out to Daryl West. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Tech Tank, a series of roundtable discussions and interviews with technology experts and policymakers. For more conversations like this, subscribe to the podcast and sign up to receive the Tech Tank newsletter for more research and analysis from the Center for Technology Innovation at Brookings.